Hi everyone, welcome to Pro Wrestling Defined episode two. Uh, I have a really great guest on the episode today. I'm really excited to have him on. He's a legend from uh, NWA, WCW, WWF as uh, Scott Colton. Um, Randy Hogan in WCW, he wrestled all the top stars, Sting, uh, Nikita Koloff, Vader, uh, Rick Rude, Ultimate Warrior, Ted DiBiase in WWF, all the top stars. He had a legendary run. And it's an absolute honor to have you on today. Randy Hogan, how are you doing today, sir? Jonathan, thank you, man. It's brother, it's wonderful to be on here. Can't believe this technology, man. You're all the way over there, and I'm all the way over here, and everything's closed down in the world, but yet here we are, man. Exactly. It's bringing us closer together, and it's a good thing we have it this year. Like yes. you said, it's 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 been a tough one, but uh, yeah, it's the one thing that's kind of keeping everybody sane, I think, really, isn't it? But it's getting old. It's time to get some real face-to-face going, you know? 100%. 100%. I know you yeah. guys just, didn't you go through a, a recent lockdown over there now? Or are you locked down? Yeah, we're still in lockdown. I think we've another t- about another two weeks left uh-huh. of it. So, uh, yeah. We're wide, we're wide open, but everything's creeping up. So I got a, I've got a feeling pretty soon they're going to start uh, closing us up too again down here in Florida. Oof. Gosh, and especially with uh, who's after coming into the White House now as well, you know, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out now in January. I know, but, I know. Um, and you were actually one of the few states that actually got your voting right, <laughs> it seems, in Florida. Yes, for the first time. Last last time we didn't. And we were one of the key states also. So, and uh, it, it, I, I don't understand the whole thing, you know, that's. It is what it is, and exactly. no matter who gets in as president, they only have so much power. You know, they got the 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 Congress and the House of Representatives. They've got everybody else has to eventually make the decisions. You know, so exactly he he's at the uh, he's at the pinnacle. He's at the, at the top of the pyramid right now, but still he's got to have his team. You know, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, getting into into the wrestling. Um, wrestling, yes. That's it. You uh, you were a big fan um, uh, as a kid as well. I understand your grandparents were big fans. They were instrumental. Yeah, oh, you did in... your homework, John. Oh, I, I did my homework. Man. I, I did I my research. Seven years old. I was a fan, and I'm as big a fan now as I was back then. It's funny because my parents, my mother and father, were not fans at all. They just uh, wrestling that fake crap, da 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 da. You know, <laughs> my grandparents, man, they they were there on every word. You know, so yeah. So uh, when they had it, it uh, in Detroit, some of the, of course, the old guys, Dick the Bruiser and and the original Sheik and Bobo Brazil and Killer Kowalski and those guys, um, they take me to the to the shows, and I just got hooked. And we watch it on TV in the afternoons and. Uh, just had a really good, uh, really good childhood as far as the uh, wrestling upbringing went. So I went through all the different eras, you know, from from that one uh, right up to uh, I'm still a fan to this very day. So, um, uh, j- just on that note, uh, who were some of the guys that uh, you think are are pretty good now these days? Is there any talent well, that sticks out? First of all, you got to figure I'm old school. Okay, so all the monkey flips and all this high stuff and that doesn't impress me at all. Oh, I don't like it either. I I I'm definitely um, the same. I like the old. But there's there's a lot of talent out there. But but isn't that funny now? They're they're pushing all this new style wrestling, 
But who are they bringing as the stars? Jericho, Goldust, you know, Cody Rhodes. They had uh, a little friend of mine, uh, Mike Jackson, was on AEW about a month ago. Just turned 70 years old, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he was big doing doing jobs back in the old NWA, WCW days also with me. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're bringing all the old guys, all the nostalgia is coming back. So, um I, I have always been a big fan of Ziggler. I don't yeah. know why. Dolph Ziggler, he's good on a mic. He does whatever they tell him to do, whatever gimmick they want him to push to the best of his ability. Now, he's making good money to do it. Mm. But uh, he, he's just uh, he's really a team player. So he's been one of my favorites out there for a while. Um uh, the Miz, I think they're turning into a bit of a clown, you know. I have no tolerance or use for Orange Kennedy or Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I'm not I even doing either. I the hands in the pocket thing whatsoever. No. Know? And no, I think back to the old days, you know, like uh, take a Wahoo McDaniel. He'd kill a guy like that. Because yeah. it's actually, they're mocking the business that that is is so important to us, you know, so much of our lives. And, uh, so uh, they're good. Uh, I like finally the last couple of years what they're starting to do with the women's division. Um, you know, it went when you had the old fabulous Mula and Joyce Grable and 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 uh, all the the tough women back in the day, and then it went strictly to the eye candy. You know, yeah, Good to work at, but they you know they couldn't. Uh, like they say, they couldn't tell a wrist lock from a wrist watch. <laughs> and, uh, so now they've kind of blended the two, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fan, which a lot of people are not, of uh, of Nia Jax. Yeah. I think she's big. She's strong. I'm not sure they're using her in the right way. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. they will. She's got a lot of heat on her because she's hurt a lot of people. Well, she's big. She's strong. She's kind of old school. You know, yeah. like they used to tell us, if you can't take a punch, if you can't take a slap, then you shouldn't be in the business. You have to make it look good, like, don't you? Well, nowadays, it's uh, uh, it's a lot more gymnastics than that. You know, first of all, there's mm-hmm. no finishing maneuvers anymore because everybody kicks out of everybody's finish from yeah. the Undertaker right on down, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. Before, when somebody would grab a sleeper hold or something, you know, that's the finish. That's the end. Uh, it's different now. Now you put a guy through a table and he still kicks out a two. Um, they'll go through the same finish two or three or four different times. The guy can barely stand up. Then all of a sudden he's picking it up over his head and dropping a knee on his face and breaking his nose. And It's just, uh, it, I think a lot of it's to do with, with selling. You know, you have to tell the story. And there's exactly. no story. Again, I know I sound like one of the old men again, one of the old guys, but... That's one of the biggest complaints we have is is the lack of storytelling. You know, yeah. um, if you think of not only the real old guys, even like Ric Flair, he would be working on a guy's leg or knee for a long time, mm-hmm. as did Greg the Hammer Valentine. You know, they'd work yeah. on that knee, work on that knee, work on that knee. Eventually, they'd put him in the figure four, and it was over. Yeah, um, you don't see that. You don't see a lot of mat wrestling. We were watching it the other night and uh, and just tried to count the actual wrestling moves. There was none. There's lots of punches. There's lots of kicks. Um, 
everybody's doing a super kick. Uh, oh, yeah. On, yeah. And then you got uh, um, uh, like Jeff Hardy. I mean, how many times is he going to hit that uh, twist of fate or miss it? I should say miss it. Nine out of 10 <laughs> times he goes for it. Should be his finisher. And it's gone. Yeah. Um, so, but but as far as the new product, uh, I like Charlotte Flair. I think she mm-hmm. she carries that aura about her. Definitely. Well, the queen, mm-hmm. definitely a heel, just like just like a daddy. Yeah, for yeah, sure. She's good on the mic. She carries it. She's got that don't give a crap attitude. She's tough as nails. So, she'll be back supposedly before the end of the year. She had some cosmetic surgery problems. So, yeah. <laughs> So, so she's supposed to be back uh, back before the uh, the end of the year and probably will make a big comeback and go back. Uh, I'm not really a fan of, of Asuka. Mm. Um, she has a lot of hollering and screaming in Japanese or something. I'm not sure what, but it's hard to follow her. You know? Yeah, um, that definitely gets old. Yeah, she, um, along with, uh, you know, in, in Japan, of course, she's very big and and doing just like Kenny Omega, you know, he's mm-hmm. huge over there. He comes over here, and man, I don't see it. Yeah, um, neither do I. Neither Cody do I. Rhodes, you know, was always a a, a good solid mid card wrestler or upper mid card. Mm-hmm. He's no world champion thing, you know. If he didn't uh, get hooked up with Tony Khan, and what about these young bucks? What are they? Uh, 160 pounds a piece, you know. <laughs> Put them against Demolition or the Road Warriors or something like that, or the old Bruiser and the Crusher, you know. Yeah, You'd kill them. So that's kind of how I look at the product. So it's hard to pick out favorites right mm. now, other than ones I picked out. I like Roman Reigns. Yeah, um, he's excellent. I, th- I think uh, he's going to start this little Samoan dynasty going, which will take mm-hmm. over where the shield was and other things. Um, I don't know how it's going to play out at the end, but I think he, he's a, uh, a real talent. Um, and those are, those are pretty much the, the standouts. You know, the Undertaker's got one more last ride coming up, I guess. I don't know. He's had so many last rides. He must be out of gas <laughs> by now. Uh, well, but I like him. But he's one of the last gimmicks that really held true. You know, oh, I hope they don't screw up uh, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend. Mm-hmm. I think that's got potential. You want me to come out with a swinging lantern and everything? You know, that was really cool. Now he's got Alexa Bliss and he's got his little cartoon firehouse or whatever it's called, Firefly yeah. Firehouse. But uh, again, the guy can work. You know, he, he can he can really really wrestle. A good pedigree there. You know. Mm-hmm. That. So, so I hope they don't bury him. You know, they they've got a they've got a history of burying really good people, and now a lot of them, like Luke Harper, and them are going to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. AEW. Uh, Heath Slater was another one. Heath Slater, he could wrestle. He did whatever they told him, whatever crazy goofy gimmick they gave him. He did what he was told, and he still fired him. So. Yeah, there's I, I don't understand the reasoning for it. You know, back in the old days, you did your job and, and you got to a point And if you sold tickets, I mean, people wanted to see you, you worked, you kept your mouth shut, you didn't complain out of courtesy. You always thanked the guy after the match uh, and you went about your business. Now, you know, a guy gets a bruise. He's out for three months, you know, making three million dollars a year. It's just a whole different ball game. So it's. It's fun for us old guys to see really where it's going to develop in the next 
five or ten years, like it has been, you know, yeah. over the, the past ten or so. Definitely. But uh, that's uh, that's my take on the current product and the old product. You know, give me the storylines. You know, I don't care about all this crap. Hit me in the head with a chair or two by four. It don't matter. I don't care. That's what you get paid for. Now you can't hit a guy in the head because of concussions, mm -hmm. you know. So now you got to hit him across the back. Well, you know, I can slap my wife across the back and she'd get up and hit me. I mean, it wouldn't make no difference, you know. <laughs> yeah. Slap somebody. She hit me. She hurt me. But you know, slap somebody in the head with a chair like they used to in the old days and that. And, and people believed that and it was real. Oh, yeah. I, I, again, just a little story. Hmm? I wrestled Abdullah the Butcher, okay? Abdullah, it was a big 400 pounds. Oh, yeah. On screen, crazy, wild man from the Sudan. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I was wrestling him, and uh, Gary Hart was managing him, and he came across, I didn't know he was going to do this either. Again, nothing choreographed, nothing talked about, you know, who's going to win, who's going to lose, and how much TV time you got. That's all we knew. Everything was called in the ring. You know, nothing was practiced or talked about ahead of time. So I'm in there. I turn around. I'm taking my jacket off. Next thing I know, he's coming across. He had, I don't know, North American title or something with a belt. It smacks me in the back of the head with it. Now, not with the with the strap piece, with the metal. You know, boom. Damn, that hurts. Yeah. So we went about the match, and, of course, he's just beating my brains out threw me out of the ring gary hart took a shot at me abdullah come out threw me back in the ring stood on my neck of my chest 400 pounds usually now they would take a little pressure off by putting our hand on the ring on the ropes or something not him man full full bore mm -hmm. um threw me out of the ring again and picked up a kendo stick from one of the ring beat me like a dog with that kendo stick across my back this is a three-hour taping we were doing. Yeah. So uh, after the match, go back in the locker room. And uh, yeah, I said, you know, thank you. you know, I, I, uh, even though he hurt me bad. And he said, uh, he said, you okay? I said, yeah, sure. You know, thank you very much. And I said, but I said, you about beat me to death with that kendo stick. So he's sitting there with his feet up and smoking a cigar. And he said, son. It's good for the business. Now, that was the old school mentality. Yeah. When you're that far, when you're three or four or five feet from a fan, you know, and you're going to hit somebody, you damn well better hit them. You can't be pulling punches or missing. And, and the thing is, if you miss, you're not going to sell it. The guy's not going to sell it. I'm not going to act like you hit me when I'm in front of a fan and she sees you missed me by three feet away. So, uh -huh. but that was the old mentality. Now, even on TV, you know, the cameramen, which are kind of trained to not see certain things, uh -huh. you see things missed all the time. It's yeah. Uh, um, so I think right down to the camera work, things now are different than what they used to be. But anyway, so I go over there with, with Abdul, smoking a cigar in there. So beat me with a kendo stick. And he says, it's good for the business. Man, that stuck with me my whole life. It's good for the business. Don't bitch. Don't complain. Take a shot. That's what you get paid for. And the closer you are to the fans, the more real it better be. You know, tell a story. Sell the moves. That's what it's all about. It's good for the business. And I never forgot that.
And here's this big crazy guy that beat me to death. Him and Vader, those were the two stiffest, toughest, meanest people I ever wrestled against. Yeah. Yeah, I actually watched the um, the Vader match uh, leading off to this, and yeah, that that looked um, pretty rough. Well, there was a couple of it's funny because he does that. Uh, I don't know what he calls it, um, that, that monkey thing where he's 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 standing on second rope, and then he comes back and just kind of oh, the Vader bomb or Vader splash or something. Yeah, one yeah, of those anyway. Vader whatever. bomb, I think. Yeah. So, anyways, he did one. It was kind of stiff, but it was okay. And then he did like two more. And they were all kind of stiff, but I was okay. Well, I guess on TV, it looks so real that Nick Patrick and a couple of the referees and that from the back come out to the ring to check on me. They thought legit I was out. So they helped me back into the locker room. I says, I'm fine, guys, you know. <laughs> but, they, but, but really, it was stiff and it hurt. I didn't tell anybody that. I said, "Oh yeah, I'm fine. It's cool, you know. My, you know, my ribs were sticking out my back and uh, everything else. But, uh, but yeah, but uh, but Vader, but Vader, in the early days, uh, he just didn't care. Yeah. You know, he 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 actually broke a kid's back. You know, with his with his Vader bomb at one time. Yeah. Um. Um. He. Uh, Definitely took liberties with you and myself, you know, not complaining because that's part of the gig. Yeah. But, uh, but he definitely uh, uh, took liberties and he caught a lot of heat from it, you know, and mm-hmm. and he'd come to words at one time. And that's one of the things I think that triggered uh, confrontation with him and Paul Orndorff. Yes. And Orndorff had his flip flops on in the locker room. He just beat the car out of Vader. <laughs> he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard that so, before. You know, like they, they've always kind of gone back and forth on who yeah. won that fight, but most people kind of say Orndorff, I think, don't they? Yeah. Now Orndorff now is you know a shell of himself back then, but mm. uh, of course everybody was on the juice back then. Everybody was roided up, you know, and, and ready <laughs> to fight, and uh, either on, on, on that or cocaine or whatever they were on or something, you know, but they were all, uh, they were all pretty tough guys and they didn't take no crap. And some of them like Orndorff and and a few of the other big names um, actually respected us enhancement people, as they call us enhancement. I was a jobber. I was an enhancement. I was a star maker. Call me what you want. I'm not offended by any of that. Okay. Like I said, a jobber, we all got a job, right? We all got a nine-to-fiver. We go to work, we get paid, we do a job, and we come home. So don't that make everybody a jobber? Exactly. Huh? And My plus, job. you did it so well that it ended up making you a star. So No, not a star by any means, man. I am totally humble. You know, I can't believe somebody like you across the pond, as you say, even wants to talk to an old guy like me. So much less, you know, I do all the conventions I can. I hope to get over the UK and get um, in one when things open up one day in the next year or so. Um, but uh, it's just some of the guys really get offended by being called a jobber. And I don't mm. understand it, you know. Enhancement, yeah, we got paid to enhance the other guys. Um, carpenters, we built the stars, okay? Star yep. makers, we were star makers. So we've been called everything, you know, from a jobber, whatever else. Uh, what the 
what what your keyboard warriors don't all understand is we know how to wrestle. Mm-hmm. We're not just a piece of meat that gets beat up. Now on TV, that's our job, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I may drive a shuttle, but that don't mean I can't drive a big uh, lift truck or something too. We just do what I'm what we're told. If we're in a match with somebody like a Ric Flair or um, um, even Brad Armstrong comes to mind, good technical wrestlers, you wrestle because you're showing off their wrestling abilities. Mm-hmm. If I'm in there with Vader or Abdul or the Road Warriors, of course I'm a piece of meat because it's my job to make them look indestructible, big, larger than life, mean, strong, you know? Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of know your role and you've got to be able to swim in any pond, as they say. So, and some of us could do that. And, you know, some of the guys that you saw one or two times on TV, maybe, and then they disappear, they couldn't. So, but it all comes with training. Exactly. And uh, so just going backwards, uh, just talking about your, your actual uh, start in the business. Um, you were in the restaurant business, uh, I think, before you started. And uh, funnily enough, uh, yes. you, were, yes. you were in a band as well, which is um, kind of convenient. <laughs> oh, wow. Seeing as uh, you the, want the whole story and how with. they're all intertwined. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, first, I was in a band. It was called Brandy which was kind of like a Bonnie and Randy with Brandy. Uh-huh. And we had a one time up to eight pieces uh, sh- show group. We played resorts and hotels and things like that. All up and down the, the East Coast and uh, uh, all over the states. And we were playing a Holiday Inn circuit in, uh, in the South. It was in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, Columbus, Georgia. They had wrestling every Wednesday night at the auditorium. Now, again, remember, I'm a big fan, okay? I'm like, I don't know, 26, 27 years old. Big fan, knew all the guys. Uh, that magazine behind you, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, you know, I read every one, you know. Uh-huh. I had, they didn't have any internet back then, but I had subscriptions to the Wrestling Observer and all the dirt sheets, you know, so I could see. So anyways, we're playing on Wednesday night, and... Uh, who walks in but the Continental Lover, Eddie Mansfield, Wahoo McDaniels. Wow. Uh, who else was with them? I forget. Some local guys. So here I am all excited. Kid in the candy shop, you know. So I went up and said hi to them very humbly, and they were nice. Anyways, I found out that Eddie Mansfield lived in Columbus. So he would come in all the time and see us, and we were there every every few months. That was one of our regular stops um and i got to know him and he'd actually come over to the holiday inn so he could lay by the pool because i was i had a room there so we'd go by the pool and he'd work on his suntan we talked a little bit of wrestling very little mm. just more about personal stuff got to know each other yeah and um so that was the music thing then i said well what am i going to be when i grow up at this point i was like 28 years old so I went to the uh, food and beverage director at the Holiday Inn, and I said, you know, I'd spend so much time in restaurants and bars in the band side of it. I said, how can I get in the restaurant business? He said, well, he says, I could uh, get you a job as a, like a bar manager. And I said, no, I want to get out of the bar scene. I'd rather some else. So anyways, that didn't work out. 
So I'm sitting in my room on a Sunday looking at the newspaper, and there was an ad for Pizza Inn, it was called, looking for manager trainees. I says, wow. I says, well, I got to do something. So I went on an interview and got hired. So I'm like, God, what do I do now? So we had a couple of contracts left over. I ended up uh, in uh, in New Orleans and uh, packed all my stuff up and moved to uh, Columbus, Georgia. Went to work there for a, a couple of different uh, restaurant chains. Um Church's Fried Chicken was the last one I worked for up there. And then uh, my father had cancer, and he just had a little bit of time left. So they actually transferred me from Atlanta, Georgia, down to Florida, where my parents live. Okay. So I, uh, I came down there, and I got a job managing a restaurant. So, and uh, the restaurant was going to close. So I said, God, now what? I said, you know... I always wanted to know if this wrestling was real or is it fake? Because I didn't know, you know, I, I had no idea. And and Eddie, you know, the old kayfabe days, I mean, didn't talk anything inside. So I, I called uh, Jerry Oates. Now, Ted and Jerry Oates were a tag team worldwide. Jerry owned a uh, gym up there. And uh, so I, I called him and said, do you know anybody down here that uh, trains people? He said, the only one I know was Hiro Matsuda, who trained Lex Luger and uh -huh. uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, worked with uh, Mike Graham and Steve Kern, a lot of guys down here. But, uh, you know, that was way out of my league. He said, but, you know, I train guys up here. And I said, uh, well, okay. So we talked back and forth. Anyways, packed everything up I had, moved back to, uh, to Columbus. Started working out at the gym, again, with Eddie Mansfield who's there all the time, and uh, started my training with Jerry. Now, Jerry had a, uh, a an aerobics room in the back that just had a mat on it. There was no ring, no nothing, just a mat. So I learned how to take bumps, how to fall, how to mat wrestle on a mat. Now, when you're falling on a maybe a two-inch mat on a cement floor, you darn well better learn how to fall correctly. And I did. So... You know, years later, when I finally got falling in a ring, it was like a waterbed, you know, because I'm used to falling on, you know, covered cement. So I was into that for a little bit with Jerry, and we were learning to do a leapfrog. Just leapfrog. Mm -hmm. And I came down on my ankle really bad. Um, and that took me out for three or four months. I just thought it was a sprain and just treated it myself. In the meantime, Ted Oates, Jerry's brother, opened up a real wrestling school just about a mile away, storefront, and it really had a ring in there. So I went and talked to Ted. I said, I'm ready to come back now. Can I, you know, he said, well, sure, come on. So I literally had tears in my eyes the first time I stepped foot in a real wrestling ring. I couldn't believe it. You know, I thought back to my grandparents. You, you know, it was just such a sentimental moment. And uh, they were old school training. Old school training was they beat us up pretty good the first couple of months to see if we had what it takes. If you get beat up and you come back, then they will. If, if you get hurt and you get beat up and you don't want to come back or you, you don't go to your training or whatever else, they don't want nothing to do with you. So it's mm -hmm. like an initiation, kind of a hazing. Yeah. 
So I uh, went through that for about 13 months. Had one match, which was just all the students put on as a benefit for the police athletic league or something. And, uh, and that was it. So I didn't wrestle. I got what I wanted. I thought I got what I wanted out of wrestling. Just that I had that one match. I knew the moves. I knew some of the inside stuff. I thought I knew it all. I didn't know crap. <laughs> so, uh, so I continued to, uh, to work there. I was managing a restaurant while I was training hmm. and went to the matches every Wednesday and went, uh, and, uh, saw my friend, Eddie Mansfield was wrestling there, Georgia championship wrestling, Gordon Soley and all those guys. Yeah. And, uh, so I used to go in early just so I could see the wrestlers, not really talk to them much. And a uh, guy I trained with was putting up the ring. I said, Bill, what are you doing? He says, well, I own the ring. He said, and they rent it from me when they come into town. He says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing nothing. You know, what are you doing? He says, I'm wrestling this little bar up in North Georgia. He says, why don't you bring your stuff and, you know, come with me sometime. I said, I'm not going to bring my stuff, but I'd love to come watch you. So I rode up with him uh, a couple of times and just watched him, just a little bar, you know, maybe 20 people sitting in the bar, a bunch of drunk soldiers fighting in the back in the corner or something else, you know. Yeah. And uh, so once he told me, he said, bring your stuff. I said, okay. So I brought my stuff once and somebody didn't show up. So, of course, I said, I've always had the mustache since I was like 18 years old. And my hair was long at the time and I was still in somewhat shape back then. And said, uh, uh, you want to wrestle? You want to work tonight? And I said, well, okay. I, I thought I knew it all. So the promoter says, okay, uh, what's your name? I said, well, Randy Franklin. My dad's name was Frank. So I said, okay, Randy Franklin. He says, okay, you're going to wrestle this guy named the animal. The animal's going over. I says, okay. So I go back in the locker room to my friend, Bill. I said, Bill, I'm wrestling animal and he's going over. What does that mean? Does that mean he's going over the top rope or he's going to throw me over? What does what's going over mean? He says, no, dummy, going over means he's going to win. Oh, okay. That's how green I was. So I went through the match. Um, it was a decent match. I got beat, of course. And uh, the promoter says, son, can you come back next week? And I said, well, sure I can, whatever. You know, he says, I'll pay you next week. He says, I'll give you $15. I said, good. Now, I drove three and a half hours up, three and a half hours back, bought something to eat, filled my tank up with gas at the time for a $15 paycheck. But I went. So I went home that night. My girlfriend, I said, man, you got you, you to gotta bleach my hair blonde. She said, the guy wants to call me Hal Hogan. So I got there and talked to him. I said, you know, I don't mind the Hogan thing, but let's not do hell. I don't know who the hell they're talking about. How about Randy Hogan? So that's how Randy Hogan came about. Had nothing to do at the time on my part with Hulk Hogan. He said, well, you're a little, little bit like Hulk Hogan. Now, this is back around 70, I don't know, 70s. Hogan wasn't even up in New York yet, you know? Yeah. But he was getting a name for himself in the AWA, and uh -huh. he was about to come up there with Blassie. So, uh, so we're going to call you. are going to be his cousin. I said, okay. He said, no, maybe, maybe his nephew. And I said, yes, sir. You know, well, this guy had a third grade education, his promoter in, in this little bar. So I went up now on Randy Hogan. Now I had the long hair and it was blonde, 
bleached my mustache blonde, bleached my eyebrows blonde. Now this is all natural now. It's all natural. Great, <laughs> you know, no more color to it. So, uh, so I went in and now we had a Broadway, which was a draw, a timely yeah. draw, as they call it. And uh, so I went back a couple more times, and, and uh, you know you're wrestling on a card with a bunch of different guys, and and they were all just starting out. There were no big names at the time, and said, "Well, where are you working next week?" "Oh, I'm working in this town." So we would go watch them just to support them, whatever. Common courtesy, professional courtesy was if you go to watch somebody, they introduce you to the promoter. You know, I say hello, I'm Randy Hogan. If you can ever use me, you know, let me know. And because of the Hogan look you know hulk hogan never mentioned nothing mentioned let me get that clear right now brother <laughs> um, he uh no reference whatsoever but they wanted to play on that so I said, yeah whatever they want pin me pay me you know that was the that's kind of the attitude so i go see guys and that's how you i don't know how it works on the indies now but the back then of course there were no indies it was outlaw wrestling Mm. which is now developed into indie shows yeah and you wrestle and you, and you get a look and, and you work and, and because i was trained you know not just one of the backyard brawlers i was i was really trained to wrestle um i, I moved up a little bit you know and stuff and uh then as as hulk hogan got big and hulkamania was born in that then i was just kind of on the coattails never mentioning him or nothing but the motors, oh yeah, here he's his brother. It's his cousin, his nephew, whatever. And you know, I'll be whatever you want me to be. That's the show business part, you know. Exactly. Some of the worst heels are the nicest guys in real life, and that's the truth. Yeah. So, so I'm working on a show with the self-proclaimed junior heavyweight champion of Alabama, Action Mike Jackson. Now, Mike Jackson, about six weeks ago, was on AEW in a match. Did great. He's almost 70 years old. Still Crazy. can go with the best of them. But Mike was uh, was was one of the main jobbers up in NWA at the time in Atlanta, him and George South. And uh, I said, Mike, I says, how do you get on TV? And he says, well, kind of the same story as the bar. He says, I can't guarantee you anything. He said, but bring your stuff. He said, you can ride up with me up to Atlanta every Wednesday. They do two or three hours taping at WTBS Studios. Hmm. And maybe I can get you on. So I went a couple, three times. Sure enough, they were short of a jobber once. J.J. Dillon was booking at the time. They went to Mike and says, Mike, you got a guy? Mike says, yeah. So uh, you want to work? Well, I knew what work meant. I said, yeah, absolutely. So here I am. You talk about a kid in a candy shop. I've got maybe six or seven matches under my belt. And now I'm on TV with the big boys. So who are you wrestling? Well, my first TV match was against the Warlord and the Barbarian. Yeah. And uh, what an experience that was. The Warlord was the biggest man I've ever seen. He's got to be six, seven or that. He's still big. So anyways, yeah. I'm in there, and he gets me in a press over his head. Now, i got to be at least eight, nine feet in the air and lets me drop. And I landed. I landed perfectly. Didn't feel a thing. I just wanted to jump up, say, yes, that was great. Of course, I couldn't, though. 
So then Bar- he tags out. Barbarian comes in to shoot me in the ropes. Shoots me back. Whenever there's an element of risk, you communicate with your partner, with your opponent. For instance, if somebody's going to throw you in the ropes, you say, drop kick, elbow, whatever, so the guy knows what's coming. So Barbarian throws me in. Now he's, I think he's Tongan or Samoan, one of those. Very strong accent when he talks. So he goes, boo-boo. That was it. Now, I got a split second to think, okay, I got to hit the ropes. Baboo, I don't know what that means. So anyways, full adrenaline, first time on TV. I hit them ropes 100 miles an hour. I come running off, not knowing what to expect. Next thing, I got a size 15 right in my face. Breaks my nose, blood going all over. Now, this is on TV. And uh, anyways, what he said, what he was saying, big boot. Like, <laughs> watch for the big boot. You yeah. know? He's about the boot. <laughs> so that was the first thing. But I guess they took pity on me. And JJ said, all right, Hogan, come back next week. Yes, sir. You know? So that's how the WCW, the, the TV stuff, uh, really got started. Um, a f- probably six months later or so of working, this was Jim Crockett's NWA. Ted Turner bought, bought it and turned it yeah. into WCW. He brought in guys like Jim Hurd and some guy named Siegel and uh, Bischoff. Anyways, they wanted to change things a little bit. They wanted guys that knew how to work, how to wrestle, not just the pieces of meat. Yeah. So it was almost like an audition type thing. A lot of those faces disappeared, but like me and George South, the Italian Stallion, Gary Royal, there was, I don't know, six or seven of us that they kept. So we got to wrestle all the guys all the time. And they get to know you. And again, like I said, old school mentality. You never complained about who you're working, about how stiff they were, about if you got hurt, whatever else, you go back, shake the hand, thank you very much for the match and you go about your business Mm. that was job security back then so and the fact that we were trained and i was lucky because i learned how to fall pretty much like a cat i don't care where i'm at how you throw me i could i could take it now i was smaller not small but i was about uh 225 to 230 at the time pounds yeah so guys could pick me up Road Warriors, where they just take me up and flow me around like a rag doll, you know. I didn't care. Go ahead. Yeah. Do it with a smile. So after a while, certain guys, they asked to work with you. Ric Flair used to love George South. Jimmy Cornette and the Midnight Express used to love me <laughs> because I could do the wrestling part with them. I could job out to them and they could do all their whatever they wanted to do, and it was fine. The Road Warriors were just starting where they had uh, uh, Animal that had you on his shoulders, and then Hawk would come off the top rope with a lariat and they'd flip you uh-huh. back, you know. Easy, bump. But uh, and I could do that. Uh, Sting, the same way, uh, a couple times I could do. He was teaming up. At first, he was teaming up with uh, Luger as a, as a tag. Yeah. And they could do whatever they wanted with me. I didn't care, you know. And I worked steady and did that for a long time until, uh, oh, I was in a match in Savannah, Georgia, TV, wrestling Rick Steiner. 
and I wrestled him a few times before, and he, one of his patented moves was a suplex, belly to back suplex. Mm. And I would land on my head, and that hurt. So we're doing it, so, I, so he went behind me, and I said, well, you know, I'm gonna turn a little bit and try to get it, the brunt of the fall on the meat of my sh back of my shoulders rather than the back of my head. So he went back, I turned, I turned a little too much and cracked my clavicle, that little bone that goes across here. Yeah. So immediately, you know, you tell the referee when something happens. And I said, yeah, and I said, take it home my shoulder. Well, he didn't tell Steiner that it was my shoulder. He just said, you know, take it home. So we went to the finish, which was a power slam. So oh, now he shoots me in the rope, which is hard enough. But then he picks me up and he power slams me now. I've never been shot, but it's got to feel like a bullet going through you. Oh. So that was pretty much the end of my full-time thing with, with wrestling. Moved back down to Florida. Said, okay, well, what am I going to do now? After I was healed up, you know, walked around with one of those things on like this forever. So, uh, so I bought a restaurant that was going to go under. And uh, the local newspaper picked up, you know, Cedar River Seafood, just bought by professional wrestler Randy Hogan. So I said, oh, hell, here I go. So I had to keep the hair blonde and everything else, come back. <laughs> um, had a little five-by-seven promo pictures made and became in town like a Ronald McDonald. Mom and dad were asked the kids, hey, where do you want to go have dinner? Oh, let's go see Randy Hogan. Because I would always sit at the table, I'd talk to him about this guy or that guy or what happened. I give him an autograph picture, you know. They thought it was yeah. great, it was good for business. So that kept Randy Hogan somewhat alive. But I said, well, now what? So at that point, WCW started doing their TV tapings in Orlando at MGM Studio, Disney World. So I made a couple of calls. And now whenever they came down and did TV, I was back on TV doing the same thing I did before, but just strictly TV. That kept me relevant for my restaurant. You know, I do a thing on TV. I get paid. I come back. Oh, I saw you on TV last week. You know, everybody, they, like, you got jobbed out, but they think you're a movie star. Think you're special. Yeah. I'm still humbled by it. I can't believe it. So uh, so that's how that went around. And that just uh, kept on going. Then I ended up uh, one time with uh, six, six restaurants. Sold the last one 10 years wow. ago. Got married and moved to Orlando, which is where I'm at right now. About 30 minutes from Disney World, where it all happened. So, but uh, those old days, like I said, I got uh, Jimmy Cornette in the Midnight Express. Uh, felt very close to, I guess. Yeah. Through the years, uh, Sting was very cold and businesslike at first, but then after he got to know you, he warmed yeah. up. Luger always loved himself from the beginning until the end. <laughs> that was just a Luger loved Luger. Um, the locker room, it, it's funny because when you first go up there, of course, you're all in the locker room together. And I mean, I'm sitting in a corner with some of the other jobbers and handsome guys. Hmm. And you're looking around, you got Dusty Rhodes over here, you had Ricky Steamboat over here, you had all these big names, heroes. You just want to go get everybody's autograph, you know? Because again, I'm still the biggest fan in the world. Yeah. So, uh, but that, but very standoffish. 
Um, so after I worked Jimmy Cornette a couple of times, he was like my best buddy at the time. Um, Kevin Sullivan was another one. He was like in the gorilla position, which was looking at the monitor and saying, oh, we can go to the ring, whatever else. Yeah. So uh, he'd send me to the ring a few times and everything. And then one day I go and look at the sheet and I'm wrestling against the varsity club, which at the time was him, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and um, Mike, Mike Rotunda. Rotunda. Yeah. Mike Rotunda. Yeah. So the ones that I had was Rotunda and Sullivan. And uh, Sullivan was, was, he's safe, but he's stiff. You know? mm. Yeah. Old school, just old school. Snug. <laughs> so he did, he calls her, he hung me, you know, upside down in the corner. Tree of woe, he used to call it. Mm -hmm. Comes running across the ring with his hip into you, you know. Yeah. And he did, and it, uh, it, it was stiff, but it was fine, you know. But I took it and went back professional after the match, like we're supposed to. Mm. And just something clicked with 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 Kevin. So now Kevin instead of saying, Hogan, go to the ring, he says, Randy, you're up. Wow. Kevin Sullivan calling me Randy by my real first name, you know? It was just like a badge of honor for me. Yeah. So uh it's funny, I talked to Kevin uh last week. Already after, about, cool. after 30 years and just shared wow. with him. Just thanked him for making me actually feel part of the group. Another the big one was Terry Funk. Now Terry Funk was Terry Funk was always an all-time great, still is. Yeah. But he would be the only one that walked across the room to all of us jobbers sitting in the corner like a bunch of scared little kids, shake your hand, look you right in the eye, and say, My name's Terry Funk. What's your name? He says, I am so glad to meet you. I mean, you talk about feeling humbled. Here's Terry Funk asking me what my name is and he's glad to meet me so those three are the standouts of all of them you know you mentioned the uh the wwf stuff i just did a a, a few jobs with them when they come through town and that so mm -hmm. i was never a i was never a barry horowitz or a reno riggins yeah you know, type but we laugh about it now because barry lives not even an hour from me here and we talk oh, well through Facebook and on the phone once in a while. We do conventions together. Yeah. And uh, there's a vendor that's trying to put him and I together, you know, uh, the, the, the best of WWF versus the WCW. You know? yeah. They even tried to get us in the ring to have a match. Now Barry's about <laughs> as busted up as I am. So uh, I'm, in fact, I'm healing right now. I had my ankle replaced a few months back. Yeah. Where they used to fuse them, but I had mine replaced. So and I've had both knees replaced. Triple bypass. It hasn't changed my life at all, really. But uh, I think my top rope days are over. So, uh, but not the convention. So still, Barry and I is going to meet up and, you know, maybe in case they'll run in or we'll manage somebody, you know, and, and uh, yeah. uh, help them with a screw finish, the good guy or something. But uh, it's funny because after like, I don't know, 20 years or so of being un not relevant at all, not being on TV, not wrestling, all of a sudden there's this need for nostalgia. Everybody's starting to get a little more into history. They're looking at some of the old guys. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of old guys around anymore like me. You know, I'm going to be 70 years old this year. And there's just not a whole lot around that have the stories and still can remember and, and willing to do things like these conventions. Yeah. So uh, 
So all of a sudden I get a call. Would you like to do one of these at a convention? Well, I never did one before. What do I do? So you sit behind a table, you take pictures, you sell, you know, you sell pictures, take pictures, interact with the fans. I says, okay. Uh, now I'm thinking, well, what do I wear? Because I told you all the wrong, my, my whole career, I only had one outfit. I had one pair of turquoise boots. I had one pair of turquoise trunks, which I bought a yellow pair, like Hulk Hogan's eventually. And I had a black velvet robe with a sequence that had a turquoise lining in it. You know, never picked up on the Hogan gimmick, but this vendor did. So uh, he says, yeah, he says, do, do, do a Hogan gimmick. I said, what the Hogan gimmick, whatever, you know, yellow and red. So I had shirts made, the, the Hulkamania shirts. I had Randomania, which I've got. Yeah. And I still send. I had these made, which is Hogan's World Order signature shirt (laughs) to sell. That's awesome. Bandanas, the glasses, and everything else, you know. This, I got the, uh, I I took my beautiful turquoise boots and had them dyed yellow, like Hogan's. I got the red and yellow um, tie-dyed spandex. So I wore that yellow weightlifters belt, you know, with that. So now, all of a sudden, after all these years, a year ago at the big event in New York, now for the first time, I'm doing the Hulk Hogan gimmick. The Hogan gimmick, you know. And it went well. So that's what people wanted. You know, even though they remembered, Randy. The first day, I always had, I got matching glasses for every outfit. But uh, I said, well, shouldn't I be in my turquoise or something, you know, a combination? No, do the Hogan thing. So what I did is I, I put this, the glasses up on top, like Hogan wears them most of the time, Hulk does. Because mm-hmm. that way it still looks a little bit like the Randy Hogan that they may remember or they see or the pictures in front of them. Yeah. And they still get the Hulk Hogan feel. I use brother. I use cousin. Let me have a picture with you. Yes, sir. 20 bucks. So uh, so that's how the whole Hulk Hogan thing is. Uh, have I ever met Hulk Hogan? No. I have never had a face-to-face. Now, again, you had a little lived... interaction with him uh, at his oh, um, man, you were gonna go thing there. in WCW, didn't you? That. You know, no, no, <laughs> he's got his uh, beach shop here, which is, you know, he lives an hour from me also. A lot of guys live around here. Um, um, so I'm working for a radio station. This is uh, before I bought a rest, uh, after I had my first restaurant. I was working for a radio station between buying my second one. And I had a little three-minute thing on the wrestling, uh, like a wrestling, just reading off the dirt sheets, what's going to happen and what happened. Yeah. And this inside stuff on the sports thing. So now all of a sudden, this Hulk Hogan guy is jumping to WCW, and he's going to be at a ticker tape parade in Orlando. So, of course, they know I'm a wrestler. Would you like to go? I said, well, hell yes, I'd like to go. So they got me a real press pass, and I was there as a – I wasn't a plant. I was there as a real representative of my radio station, part of the press. And uh, and you saw, the, I guess, the, uh, the clip – where somebody, I guess, caught it on camera. 
that, yeah, he really was there. Was he a plant? No, I wasn't a plant. I was there as a real reporter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting or standing, actually, just right, right in front of the stage. Hogan, Jimmy Hart, guys. And, uh, and Hogan, you know, looks, around, looks over there and almost like a, like, a, like a double take and a nod. Man, I was thrilled. It was like an acknowledgement. Now, I had been yeah. wrestling all this time. I'd been on TV all the time. I never met him or nothing. And that was the closest I really got to him. Until last year at the big event in New York, I, I'm at my table in my Hogan gimmick at the convention right across from me, not six feet aisle. Across from me is Jimmy Hart, who was his best friend in real life, mm-hmm. you know, business partner in, in non-wrestling things. Yeah. Jimmy Hart was there with J.J. Dillon, who I knew. So I'm scared to death. God, Jimmy Hart... Hulk Hogan, me doing this Hogan gimmick for the last 30 years, you know, what's he going to say? So, uh, so when it slowed down at the end, I walked across the aisle and I says, excuse me, Jimmy, could I have a picture with you? And, you know, he's like a hamster on crack. He is always <laughs> on, you know, running all over the place. Sure, brother, come on, come on. So he said, I got a picture. And of course, I, I thanked him. And I said, you know, I, I really appreciate this. You know, he says, with the with the gimmick and everything, he says, I, I didn't know if there's any heat or anything, you know, knowing, you know, your relationship. And he says, no, not at all, Randy. So let me tell you. He says, I talk to Terry about every day. He says, we've got other business ventures going on. And he said, now, you're not the topic of discussion, but he's aware of you and it's been discussed before. And the thing that we appreciate is I've never gotten in any trouble, any controversies with, you know, drugs or booze or, or stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I never did anything to discredit the Hogan name, even though I never said I was part of the Hogan clan. Yeah. He said, uh, uh, they noticed too, when, uh, when, when Hogan went heel, NWO started that, mm-hmm. I turned heel for a while. I'm still doing all the independent shows and stuff, you know, on top of TV. Yeah. So I turned heel. When he went back to the red and yellow, I went back to my turquoise. So uh, I, I kind of followed his lead without ever saying anything. Mm-hmm. But anyways, but, uh, but Jimmy said, you know, he says, you keep doing what you're doing. He says, we're 100% behind you. He said, there's no heat, whatever, you know, and, and that was it. So again... After being out of the business for 25 years or whatever, I finally got endorsed as Hogan. You know, even though it was secondhand through Jimmy, that's close enough for me. So, so that uh, happened. The only thing funny that happened recently, I had some. Uh, I didn't have a made, but a uh, a graphics guy made a picture, an eight by ten, like a poster. It's a picture of me and Hulk Hogan. In the back says the American Bash, you know, and the match that never was, the dream match that never was, Randy Hogan versus Hulk Hogan. I said, man, this is a great picture. So I, I put it on my website and sell it and started to sell it. So I get an email from Hogan's boy, Ron Howard, that manages his uh, his beat shops, a cease and desist. Oh, you can't really? do anything, nothing with Hogan's image or likeness. Wow. 
can't sell it. So again, very apologetic. I sent it off, took the pictures, you know, off of the website. But uh, if anybody asks, I still got them. I just can't <laughs> in fact, I had some blown up in 11 by 14 poster size, you know, they were yeah. just that good and that different. And like I said, he's, it, it, it's like, like a split screen, like we're on right now. So I'm on one side, Hogan's on the other, you know, and, and he's there flexing like that. And I'm standing there in my robe, the dream match that, uh, that never was. What a great picture, but I got a cease and desist. So I had to quit selling them. Wow. Gosh. So crazy. I'm sure that Hulk had something to do with that. And I think I know right where it came from. I know a guy that bought the picture lives here. He took the picture in after I signed it and sent it to him. He took it into Hogan's shop to see if Hogan would sign it also. And he said, well, what's this? So all of a sudden, so, I don't know what triggered it or whatever, but uh, that was it. Harris. That's my whole Hulk Hogan story right there. The Jimmy Hart Hulk Hogan, Hogan's Beach Shop commercial right there. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's cool. Wow. Oh, so that's all the stories I got, man. I, I'm sorry I cut into all your time, but I get running on my mouth and I just can't stop sometimes. <laughs> You're cool, man. Oh, it's great. This has been absolutely awesome. It's been amazing. <laughs> Thanks so much, Randy. Um, oh. We're nearly out of time, so there's uh, only one way to finish this. If that match did happen, Randy Hogan versus Hulk Hogan, cut a promo on him now and tell Hulk Hogan what's going to happen. What's he going to do when Randy Hogan drops the big elbow on him? What's he going to do? He don't know what he's going to do. Randy Hogan don't know what he's going to do. Jimmy Hart, the little weasel out there, don't know what he's going to do. But I'm going to have... Big Jonathan in my corner, okay? And he's going to slip me a foreign object, and I'm going to go back to the NWLO days, and I'm going to pop him, and it's over. Woo. <laughs> Thanks so much, Randy. That was absolutely awesome. Thanks so much. Jonathan, you, pro wrestling defined, baby. You guys are great. Thank you so much. And I sure hope to get across the pond to see you guys in the next year or so. I'm really working on it hard. Definitely, definitely. We have to get you over here anyway sometime soon when, when everything opens back up. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Randy. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate it.